Hello, and welcome to The Mummer's Farce, the podcast about the visual production of HBO's Game of Thrones. I'm Dan Solberg. And I'm Kate Berry. Today we've got the finale of Season 3, The Reigns of Castamere and Misa, with some pretty climactic moments, The Red Wedding, some other stuff that we'll get into when we do our, <laughs> our recaps, but some very iconic episodes for the series, particularly, of course, The Reigns of Castamere with The Red Wedding. By iconic, I mean these are going to be episodes that characterize what people know about Game of Thrones, even if they're not Game of Thrones watchers. I feel like it's almost hard to talk about them because they're some of the most discussed episodes Mm -hmm. probably of the entire show. And so I'm like, what is there new to say about the Red Wedding? I think we may have answered this question on like the first episode zero or something (laughs) like that. But when you started watching the show, were you, when did you hop on and were you aware of like Red Wedding before watching the show? I think it was very close. I think I was watching, I was catching up on old seasons Mm -hmm. while this was going on. And so I knew from the internet and friends that something big had gone down. I don't know that I successfully avoided spoilers. (laughs) What about you? I remember seeing like animated GIFs of people getting (laughs) stabbed and not knowing. I wasn't watching the show at the time. It's just like people talking about, oh, the red wedding. Oh my God. And there's like... Somebody had done like a like a goofy thing where they had taken taken footage of people getting stabbed and like made it into like balloon animals or something. It was like <laughs> it was ridiculous, and I was just like, maybe I'll watch this show at some point. I'm not gonna pay close attention, but I see there's a big moment where everybody's getting killed. Yeah, and at dinner, seemingly that sums it up pretty well. <laughs> so it was just like pervasive in like cultural knowledge at the time. It was like everybody was talking about it, and it was such a big shock. How did you feel re-watching it? I don't think anything will ever match up or, or, or be as good as the first time because it was so shocking and mm-hmm. you, you think maybe that someone will escape or, I mean, other than Blackfish. I like that I was more tuned in to the tension as it was building instead of just, you know, watching Tra-La-La, What a Happy Wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's, I mean, I noticed it even seasons before that we've talked about it a lot that like Roose Bolton will often come between Mm -hmm. Rob and Talisa and so seeing those things build made for a better experience but maybe not quite as good as just the shock of it actually happening right yeah the the analysis in the rear view mirror is always a little bit more telling and I definitely noticed some ways that we'll get to when we actually sort of dive into it ways that the show seemed like it was very purposefully trying to make it seem like everything was okay yeah. And that things were going well. Both these episodes are directed by David Nutter, who we've seen a few times at this point, and is one of the directors, I'm pretty sure, signed on to do season eight material. So we'll get to see uh, more of him in that capacity as well. But before we sort of dive into that, we should do a recap of episode nine here, The Reigns of Castamere. Kate, why don't you give us that? Okay, so Rob and Catelyn discuss Rob's plan to take Casterly Rock and decide it all depends on Walder Frey's army. They go to the twins to make amends. Walder Frey offers them bread and salt and presents all the Frey women Rob might have married. Outside Yunkai, Daenerys' council decides to enter the city by a side door with only three men. The plan works, and Yunkai surrenders. Sam and Gilly decide to go through the wall at the night fort, while John, Egret, and company steal horses. John tries to save the horse owner, angering Egret as well as Tormund and Orel. He ends up killing Orel, who then wargs into his eagle, who then attacks John, and John flees. Nearby, Bran, Rickon, Jojen, Mira, Osha, and Hodor watch the wildlings, and Bran wargs into Hodor to keep him quiet. They decide to split up, Rickon and Osha to the Umbers, and the rest to find the Three-Eyed Raven. 
Arya and the Hound make their way to the twins, but arrive too late in several senses. Inside the twins, Edmure and Rosamund marry, but after the bedding ceremony, the Starks are betrayed and attacked by the Freys and Roose Bolton. Rob, Talisa, and her baby, Catelyn, and Walder Frey's wife are killed. Yep. <laughs> also Grey Wind. Also Grey Wind. So, it's an exciting episode. There's a lot packed in, although geographically we don't go to that many different places. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's nothing in, in King's Landing, no Lannisters. We have a couple different views of the scenes that we are in. Not quite as extreme as the Blackwater episode where we're in one place and we see all these different angles, but we see two different angles on the twins Mm -hmm. uh, because we see what's inside the twins and what's outside from Arya and the Hound's perspective. And then up in the north, in the the Gift, Mm -hmm. we have the Bran and Rickon perspective along with the Jon and Ygritte perspective as well. Yeah, yeah. So we get it's nice to see the same events from uh, different points of view. Mm -hmm. Sort of flesh out those scenes. Both of the episodes we're going to talk about today have these really clear bookends Mm -hmm. that sort of set up the thematic elements of the particular episode. So this one, it's really about this mother-son relationship between Rob and Catelyn, who are essentially the characters that begin and close the episode quite literally. Mm -hmm. But we start out with this map room and... Whoever is making these map pieces must be making a mint because all the maps seem to maybe have the same people, on, same yeah. characters on them. Um, but it's a good illustration of how isolated and maybe precarious the position of the Starks has become. Mm-hmm. They seem surrounded by enemies. And Rob asks Catelyn for her advice. And they've had a strained relationship for most of this season. And so it's a, it's a moment that she really likes. Mm-hmm. But I think that her advice, which is to take Casterly Rock and to show them, meaning the Lannisters, how it feels to lose what they love, this encouragement to find revenge is kind of what kills them. Especially talking about bookends. I don't mean to skip too much ahead, but she tells Rob, show them how it feels to lose what they love. So she's really encouraging that they hurt the Lannisters. But then at the very end, she tells Walder Frey, when she thinks that Rob might walk out and survive, we will take no vengeance. But it seems hard to believe that that would be true. And and I don't think he does. Yeah, I mean, it's also notable the game pieces that are on the board here. It's really Lannisters, Starks. There's a couple Greyjoys way up north, disconnected mm-hmm. from everything. And then the only other people that he's really considering are the Freys with the Twins logo and the Boltons. So we don't have the Umbers. We don't have any of the other bannermen that would technically still be with uh, Rob's camp here, the Tullys, or, you know, for instance, or any of the yeah. other river lords, really, which is fine. They don't need to make little models for all of them. <laughs> but I think it shows, you know, the, the, the irony of the situation. Be like, the whole time, this whole season, and even a great deal of last season, it's been, let's establish more and more the Bolton character and the Bolton sigil. And it almost seems crazy at this point that we would get to only next episode that we actually put two and two together that Ramsay Bolton is the one torturing Theon that with a big X that he's strapped to mm-hmm. um, seems almost ridiculous that we maybe wouldn't notice in hindsight. I don't think that I did, but yeah, you know, um, the, it, the, those, the symbol is all over the place, just kind of waiting to get picked up. Rob is, of course, just totally oblivious about this. And also the fact that there's an intimacy here between Rob and Catelyn, his mother and son, but like, it's also nobody else is around. He's confiding in his mom. He's got like almost seemingly nobody else to ask for advice. Yeah. And it's not that his mom gives terrible counsel, but the wheels are in motion in a way that can't be undone. Right. 
And you're right that he's been surrounded by people, often even Talisa's in his tent. And so now for them to be alone and maybe vulnerable, that's mm. not how we're used to thinking of Rob. He's won every battle. They, they mention that a lot, but he's like, he's not paying attention to who his enemies are. Mm-hmm. And then we cut immediately to being in the twins. We have the bread and salt getting passed around, which I don't think, I don't remember if they specify this explicitly in the show at this point already, or if this only happens later about that being the traditional acknowledgement of somebody being a guest is to offer them bread mm-hmm. and salt. I think Catelyn might have done that earlier when she visited the twins, maybe? Yes, yes, because I think... Demanded bread and salt or something like that? Right, right, to make sure that it's supposed to be the thing that keeps you safe, that mm-hmm. you've offered guest right or mm-hmm. something, but he doesn't care. Yeah, so but that's it's just the first of many things that are going to happen here that are going to make us more comfortable with the situation at hand. I mean, I would even say the the transition to the twins has this very kind of, it, it comes after Catelyn says, essentially, let's go get them. Mm-hmm. And it's like this kind of triumphant version of the theme as they kind of head towards the twins. And there's just a lot of sort of reassurances that happen across yeah. this episode. And this, this throne room scene is really one of the big ones. Rob gives actually a pretty nice apology mm-hmm. that seems to be accepted by the Frey women. And Talisa is humiliated by Walder Frey, who says, you know, things about her body. And so that seems like maybe that was enough. That was his revenge. But I think the flip side of that, the thing that shows that all is not well, is that he says, if you wanted to hide her, you shouldn't have brought her here, mm-hmm. which ends up being a good idea. He shouldn't yeah. have brought her there. Right. We, we're expecting Walder Frey to exact some form of revenge. We just have not really a, a concept of how lethal that revenge will be. So the fact that he sort of leans in and says all these horrible things about uh, Talisa really just kind of critiques her mm-hmm. and then sort of sends her off. It's like, okay, well, that was bad. But like, if that's the revenge, then uh, we can deal with that. Yeah. Right? Rob was angry. They were insulted. But if that was it, fine. Mm-hmm. So it seems like everything's going to more or less go off without a hitch there. And he almost seems sort of charming in an old man way. He's like got lots of winks, especially mm-hmm. when Rosamond is revealed. Mm-hmm. That his face is is so funny that it, it puts the viewer at ease a little bit. That like, oh, maybe he's not so bad because he's kind of comedic. Yeah. Like we've all probably known a crotchety person that was mean but also funny. Mm-hmm. And they hopefully have not committed mass murder. So we're not that scared of them. Right. And there's, there seems to be this like air of, at least with Rob's ignorance here, to think like, Walder Frey, is, he's a creepy old man, but he's more or less harmless, right? Yeah. If we can sort of tolerate his verbal barbs and this kind of thing, then that's fine. Yeah. So we go from the twins to Yunkai, and we see that of all the men who have surrounded and adore Daenerys, that Dario has taken spot number one. Uh-huh. <laughs> because it's his plan. He goes over and and she's having some trouble with the map. And so he moves her hand uh-huh. and, and keeps it there. And Jorah's fuming. <laughs> Jorah's great in these scenes. He's just constantly shifting around and be like, what does Daenerys think of this? Oh, God, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she really likes him. <laughs> Dang it. And then... Uh, he, Dario's even able to get a, uh, a jab in Jorah where Jorah, you know, justifiably has a lot of suspicions about Dario. Dario doesn't seem like a very trustworthy character, I think, by anybody's standards mm-hmm. here. But Dario fires back with, in my experience, only dishonest people think this way. Yeah. And it's like, hmm, that's a dig. That's a 
I don't think Dario knows how well that one's digging in. Yeah. Um, it's a good hint to Jorah's betrayal, which is not entirely clear to us yet. Mm. But yeah, that other people can read him and, and maybe know what's going on, yeah. even if they don't know the details. Mm-hmm. And that Dario ends up being truthful and, and true to his word and mm-hmm. sort of sticks to things is kind of like, okay, maybe he is just this pretty direct person. He's yeah. not lying to us. He doesn't care enough to lie, yeah. I think, is the... Is his character? I don't think he values his life enough to worry about his own well-being in that way. It's just kind of like, here's what I'm going to do. And Barristan, too, shows a little bit of jealousy that he gets left behind, that he's the old man who has to stay and protect the queen. Especially later on when we do return to them and they come back triumphant. Mm -hmm. Danny asks, like, how long is this supposed to take? And he's just drinking. (laughs) And shrugging. He's like, I don't know. (laughs) They didn't let me go, so I don't care. Yeah, um, yeah, he seems a little sour about yeah. that. But it's like, yeah, I really have to protect the queen. We're surrounded by an army of Unsullied here. <laughs> yeah, which actually, speaking of the Unsullied, when we cut to Yunkai first, some of my favorite shots of the episode are these like stoic Unsullied warriors standing on these rocks. Mm-hmm. It really reminds me of that uh, French movie by Claire Denise Beautrevay. I don't know. I can't speak French. Mm. But My it, French is terrible. I believe it means beautiful work. And it's about these French Foreign Legion soldiers. And it's very, like, it's a weird movie to try and talk about. It's, <laughs> it's, it's about uh, the soldiers and doing a lot of training routines on these beaches. And it's really about this kind these, like, moving bodies, these, like, shirtless moving bodies of these soldiers, like, doing these routines. And that was my main takeaway from what I remember from it. And so this actually has some sort of, like, a visual similarity here. They, they have a couple of them, particularly, like, the one where they're sort of scattered around... The, on the rocks mm-hmm. in this kind of almost posed way, almost like we've placed these action figures. I, I really like those shots. Yeah. The the stillness and the almost statue-like quality of the Unsullied is interesting to mm-hmm. see because it's so unlike, they're so focused. Yeah. Some of my favorite scenes of the episode are between the Hound and Arya because they're really starting to feel each other out mm-hmm. and realize that I think both have misjudged each other. I think Arya thinks the Hound is much worse than he is, yeah. and Ar- and uh, the Hound thinks that Arya is much better than she is. Yeah. He says to her, you're very kind, and then she knocks a man out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, like a comic thing to that, yeah. which I thought maybe was accented. They have like a donkey laugh, and I, th- I thought that was kind of playing <laughs> into it after she knocks him out, like which is supposed to be kind of a funny thing. I know there's there's... There's violence all throughout this episode, but like that one instance was supposed to be like, oh, I knocked him out to show I can be violent. Just because she doesn't want him killed doesn't mean that she doesn't want him hurt. Right. (laughs) We still need to steal this cart. Yeah. And there's the same sort of beat later when when they're across from the twins and she says, one day I'll stick a sword through your eye and out the back of your skull. And it's it's shocking, but it's almost funny with Mm -hmm. it's like her sort of flat delivery and he's so surprised because not only has she guessed his fear is fire but then she also makes this pretty convincing threat that she's going to kill him Mm -hmm. and he's just sitting there munching on pork piece pork legs feet whatever they are pig knuckles yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) even though they um they don't know each other very well they actually have a, a good intuition about each other that he also realizes that she thinks that it's it's gonna it's too good to be true that she's not gonna be reunited and he's right Mm -hmm. and meanwhile sam and gilly arrive up at the wall gilly calls sam a wizard which which, is what he always wanted to be which is very cute so they they arrive in the wall apparently sam knows a secret entrance in the books this is handled by cold hands who then guides them to the black gate 
that Sam just knows about because he read it in a book mm-hmm. and apparently knows how to open it. And apparently, based on what happens next episode, it just seems like a door. Or even a hole, just a hole in the wall. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit of plot hole, no pun intended, <laughs> happening there. Um, but regardless, we don't see how he gets in through the Black Gate on the way in, but we do see him emerge because Bran and company will finally uh, arrive at the Night Fort. But they're not quite there yet. We still got a little bit of Bran story to get to get through before they actually get there. Yeah. So you have um, there's maybe a similarity between Arya and John and their position. Like you can you can steal from someone, you can maybe hurt them, but it's preferable not to kill them. So they're both showing their kind of mercy. So the John and Egret and Tormund and Norell and everyone they're going to steal a bunch of horses from someone who breeds them for the Night's Watch, and they're going to kill the man. And um, John warns him so that he's able to get away, at least for a while. Yeah, the, I really like the way that this scene is set up here. The the rain certainly has this effect on the way that Egret looks. Egret gets this look in her eye where she just looks like some sort of like drowned puppy or something like that. Yeah. Her eyes are huge. And I think the fact that she doesn't have like this kind of big red hair that sort of uh, draws so much attention, it's just purely on sort of like her frame, which is looks increasingly like skeletal when, when she's all kind of watered down. Yeah, and she's very pale and, and got a furrowed brow, and she's been let down by John already during this episode. And she's she's frantic, really, that he at least plays the part of a wildling, and he refuses, and she is devastated. But it's a sweet thing that Tormund at least tries to restrain her, even though, I mean, it's a, it's a little rough, but so that she isn't guilty of killing another wildling, I think was the point, that she won't die with John, who's fighting Aurel. Mm-hmm. And John ends up escaping with the help of, what, Shaggy Dog and Summer, mm-hmm. who are, well, at least one of them is being warged into by Bran, who was also warged into Hodor very recently. It's weird that he doesn't realize that he's being helped by his brother's direwolves. Mm. There's no sort of recognition of like, I know those wolves. Yeah. Even, just... even Sam recognizes yeah. Summer, so that's a little strange. Maybe it's just uh, all happening too fast. I don't know. Yeah. He does, well, it is happening very quickly, and soon thereafter he does get his eyes almost clawed out by, right. by Eagle. <laughs> so maybe the eyesight is not uh, the strong suit right there. You're like, I don't know, just this... Like, black and brown blur yeah. helping me out, I guess. Yeah. The reaction to Bran working into Hodor in this, everybody seemed pretty excited about it. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading this in the story, and, well, may, I don't remember these specific characters, but definitely, like, that's something that is considered extremely taboo, right. even among, like, wargs, right? It's like abomination is sort of what it's considered. Yeah. Yeah, and the descriptions of sort of where Hodor goes mm-hmm. when when Bran is working into him are really he like so he's like curls up in a part where like he like hides from Bran yeah. his consciousness and his own body, and so there it's really heartbreaking. And you get mm-hmm. I think a little it feels a little cruel for Bran to be doing it. Although in the, I mean in this case whatever, but he does it more than once. Yeah, and it's 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 not good for Hodor. He's scared when it happens, yeah. and so it's not the nicest thing that hap- that he does to him. This first time, it almost seems like it was on accident, even. Yeah. Like, Bran can't really control his powers to the degree, and he really wanted Hodor to be quiet to the certain degree that he, like, somehow slipped into his consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, so what started out as an accident then will become sort of a, a regular performance over time. Yeah. And uh, they decide to split up. Rickon, I don't know, it's the most, maybe the most dialogue he's ever had. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Bran sort of commands him in a way that 
I think there's some strange delivery in that where they're like, all right, Bran, now like act like the Lord and tell your brother and Usha to go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when Rickon doesn't want to go and Usha is trying to convince him that the, the Umbers will like teach him how to swing a sword. He's like, I already know how to swing a sword. <laughs> yeah, that was a little bit. Um, I'm not sure what the point of that was because he, he doesn't really. And we'll find that going to the Umbers was probably not the best choice. Yeah, apparently that is where, is where they end up going in the show anyway. So Right, it's more complicated, very complicated in the books. Yeah, I mean, and unresolved, really. Yeah. So Yeah, that's sort of a sweet moment between brothers, even if some of the, the lines are a little um, yeah. confusing. Yeah, so I have us actually going back to Yonkai at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not too much to talk about here. It's the infiltration mission, which gives us some pretty staged fight choreography between the three. Uh, Dario, Jorah, and Grey Worm all go in, and it seems very almost superhero movie thing in a way where it's like, we each have our three different distinct powers. Mm -hmm. This is how I fight, and here's how these other two people fight. Right. There's also a sort of, it's played for comedic effect, like you call that a few, and then a whole bunch more run in. Uh It, It felt a little out of place, especially since we don't get to see what happens, I'm like, is it a few? Is it not a few? Yeah. Who knows? But they end up surrendering anyway. Mm-hmm. So I guess they must have fought very bravely. I guess. You know, it's it's a little it's a little aloof with the weight of death, I feel like, at mm-hmm. a certain point, to, to have those kind of reactions, which is very much like, a, oh, now I'm blanking on the names of the elf and the dwarf from Lord of the Rings. But like Legolas when and Gimli. Yeah, but when they're at the... The what is it, maybe the Helm's Deep fight? I want to say, or maybe the other one as well, the mm-hmm. Minas Tirith fight. Yeah, I remember those. <laughs> that they're like counting their kills or whatever, right? Yeah. And well, it's a little bit yeah. like we've got company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, it was a little silly. Um, especially then they try to play it when they return to Daenerys' camp. You've got Grey Worm and Jorah covered in blood, and then mm. she says. Dario and he gets this look and then Dario's totally fine just yeah. bringing up the rear yeah it was it's played for a little bit extra I, I mean the only thing I could think about that is like Jorah doesn't want to admit that Dario was right maybe yeah. that was the thing and you'd be like or could, that Daenerys's face shows too much concern and he's hurt that she yeah. cares so much yeah so I could see that maybe being the case but in general it does seem like it's played up to be like some sort of like reality show, The Bachelor, like, let's yeah. go to commercial. <laughs> uh, is Dario alive? We'll find out. Yeah. Especially in an episode that has so much tension and actual dramatic weight, right? We, mm. we lose a lot of important characters that felt a little fluffy in comparison. Yeah. I mean, the, the Yunkai stuff in general is a little a little weightless it's kind of like what's going on here exactly it's like, we don't know anything about this city who even lives here right we and then they essentially cover it in like very little amount of time like danny's storyline in these last two episodes occupies a very small amount of time compared yeah. to the rest yeah and finally we're back at the twins edmure is pleased as punch about his wife the real veal is fun <laughs> that whole that whole sequence is a really good time mm-hmm there's the the entry of Boulder Frey with is it Rosalind or Rosamond? I forget. I thought Rosamond, but I'm not sure. Okay. When when they bring her in, she's got the veil on and it's the first like everybody needs to turn around to look at the bride. Rob turns around and looks right at Roose Bolton and, <laughs> and Roose is kind of like, "Oh, okay. We're turning now." And but you know, it's telling. It's like Rob is 
looking right at the enemy like mm -hmm. there he is You're, you turned around and looked right at him and it's like here's the truth of the situation and he instead like Roos almost has Roos is pretty expressionless really mm -hmm. but you imagine the thinking is like oh he's looking at me you know <laughs> is he did he figure it out um but then he just turns and it's like no it's just a ceremony yeah. it's another instance of Edmure and Rob essentially getting distracted by like how pretty is the lady? Yeah. And they're like, simple men. There's a, there's a bit more going on here, you guys. <laughs> it's like, it's not just. Yeah. Women, I mean, they really, women really are used as a distraction because I think Catelyn, she seems to, even though she lets her guard down a little bit in this episode, she knows that Walder Frey is a dangerous person, mm -hmm. but both Edmure and Rob underestimate him and are just and are distracted by women and so they suffer the consequences then when we get to the actual feast like the density of the set here is really profound mm -hmm. it's like we think of the the twins as being this kind of moldy dank place full of like a lot of greens and mm -hmm. this kind of thing and there's a little bit of that going on but it seems like they really warmed up the place a little bit it's very full of life everything is there's like so many rich shades of brown mm -hmm. going on here and all the candles are lit everywhere around the place there's food like piled up on all these tables and seemingly like even spilling over onto the ground yeah there's, i noticed there's that. so much of it and so it it's really like this full atmosphere and you could you it does feel festive like there's there's just so much bounty of yeah. money and, and food and all it, this kind of stuff. It looks the part, mm -hmm. right? Like, they really do a good job of disguising their treachery mm -hmm. because it seems like a a good party, and that's why it's so sinister when Walder Frey says, I, I feel like I've been amiss in my duties because he's thrown such a nice wedding. Mm -hmm. It's like, what do you mean? What more could you do? Yeah. And then it's a twist. Yeah. They do the... the I mean, they even do, like, the bedding ceremony, right? Mm -hmm. And there's... A, even for... The show then to, to again lull us into more of a false sense of security. There's all this banter going on. There's even a part where Rob wants to kiss Talisa earlier mm -hmm. and she says, No, we shouldn't. Like, let's not insult Bray by throwing this in his face mm -hmm. that, uh, that you passed on his, on his daughter. Brendan Tully seems like he's having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> he, he gets up and leaves, gets up and leaves. You know, Roos, you could say it's telling that he's not drinking, but we did see him refuse drink before mm -hmm. so it kind of we're kind of like oh that's just Roos he just doesn't drink yeah. like nobody's gonna beer bully Roos into <laughs> drinking wine here so it's just gonna be the way of it and and Rob even seems aloof at it it's like he notices that Catelyn is over with Roos alone he's like oh I should go save my mom she's talking to Roos Bolton and it's kind of laughed off it's, yeah no everything's fine yeah but then especially and I love how as things uh take their turn how it's shown from Catelyn's perspective that mm. she's the only one who's able to see the signs. She notices someone crossing and closing the door. She notices how the music has changed mm -hmm. and what an odd song to play at this wedding. What an odd song. And then she finally reveals that Roos Bolton is wearing chainmail, which is very strange for a wedding. And so yeah. that's, I, I really like that we're given her perspective that to sort of figure it out, but too late. Mm -hmm. And Roos even, I mean, he wants her to find out. I mean, yes. he, he's so gleeful he when puts, she. Yeah, <laughs> he puts his arm out even like even before he actually like winks to do the reveal. Mm -hmm. He sits down at the table and he like extends his arm like unnaturally far from where he is sitting to like put it in front of Catelyn. Mm -hmm. And then uh, yeah, when when 
Walter Frey starts talking about the gift, then he looks at Catelyn, like basically hints at her to like look at my sleeve, and mm-hmm. then there's a reveal of the chainmail, and then there's no turning back at that point. Yeah. I believe the quote unquote gift seems to be stabbing Talisa. So yeah, yeah. So Talisa gets rest. stabbed, and Rob is shot with a couple of bolts. Mm-hmm. Catelyn gets one. I don't think that they brought in the Umbers or any of those characters into this i don't remember seeing they didn't show them explicitly getting killed so yeah. i kind of feel like they didn't even what cast ha- them in this episode what happens to great john do we see him again he's supposed we- to be dead yeah he's a character that i always like so. yeah he's a character and i i was trying to remember because i remember in the in the books as a whole thing and be like he was one of the ones that was like he killed a bunch of people while they were trying to kill him right that they needed like a 15 phrase to <laughs> yeah because they were trying to they were trying to get everybody drunk and mm-hmm. so but they there was a story of be like we kept trying to everybody kept trying to get uh, great john umber drunk but like he kept drinking everybody under the table and he was not like seemingly ever phased and so yeah. he was a hassle for them to deal with um while they were trying to you know just put on a massacre here mm-hmm. the one other thing from the books that i thought was an interesting departure was the music component mm. and the way that they use the music in the books to essentially drown out the sounds of the massacre mm-hmm. and the fighting and in this one it was just this kind of quiet lead-in and then during the actual slaughter there was no music and it was just the sounds of the crossbows and the in the sword fights yeah that's a good point it, it plays an opposite instead of hiding it's announcing mm-hmm. that the massacre is about to happen yeah. and uh Bruce Bolton passes along Jamie Lannister's words. The Lannisters send their regards. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the only time we really see Ramsay, or sorry, the only time we see Roos in action, actually stabbing somebody. Because I was looking for him when the, all the stuff was going on, and he's nowhere to be found. So you assume he just slipped out to the side or something like that and slid back in later. Other people seem like they're hiding under tables and things like that. That's where Catelyn is. Mm-hmm. Well, she, well, she does get a, a crossbow bolt, but... And the throat slitting scenes are quite effective. And then um, I think I read that this is, I don't know if it, it was, I don't know if it still is, the only credits that don't have any any music or any sound. Yeah. I, I, would, I would believe it. I can't think of another instance. We'll have to, we haven't had one yet. Yeah. You know, the there's, the, there's all the killing happens. And then there's sort of this brief sort of moment where it seems like I don't know if it really ever seemed like somebody was actually going to get to walk out of there, but mm. Catelyn pleads for it. And then when Rob is ultimately killed and she kills Walder Frey's current wife, then sort of lingers there. There's, you know, it's a long lingering shot uh, before somebody steps in from out of frame, slits her throat, and then yeah. goes back out of frame. It lets you potentially think that we're going to cut to black, that the episode's going to end, and that's going to be it. But. It, you know it keeps going and it mm-hmm. keeps like letting that uncomfortable feeling linger until it's ultimately resolved in a its own horrific way yeah but so quick it's almost so fast to even react to yeah you know i think i think the good the show does and i guess the story in general does a good job of not necessarily like retreading the same exact territory over over and over again like as far as these big moments go there's not really another instance of the red wedding even though the show is defined in a lot of ways by surprise killings yeah the only other thing i could think of that is close to this would be the explosion of the sept by cersei yeah in terms of like gathering a bunch of people under the guise of a ceremony 
and then trapping them inside and then killing everybody through some means. Mm -hmm. So it has that in common, but the way that they're tricked, I mean, there's so many other factors that are different enough that to me, that doesn't necessarily feel like a retread. No. The only the other thing that I would say is similar is the building tension through music and some of the mm. other ways that it's telegraphed. The other um, sort of surprise death I was thinking of was Joffrey's, but his mm. is not telegraphed almost at all, and that's mm-hmm. that's why his is such a shock. Yeah, because um, we don't see sort of in, we don't figure out until later how it even happened, and it it is a huge surprise. Yeah. So yeah, I do think there's a similarity between Red Wedding and the explosion at Baylor Set. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we've been conditioned to sort of like. Uh, see the arc of a season mm-hmm. and then next season that's going to be kind of turned on its head a little bit yeah with some big events early on uh, and i think that probably has a little bit to do with the way that this is third and fourth seasons are adapted from the same book more or less and it's been so it's split so instead of having this one book that has this climactic thing here this one essentially has multiple big climactic things that this season has had a lot of stuff going on but like there's a lot of climactic things still to happen here, and mm-hmm. so it's almost like they're set up to happen throughout next season, uh, as opposed to sort of culminating here at the end once again. Right, which yeah. is nice, actually, because mm-hmm. it can get a little predictable if you watch the show that you know that the penultimate episode is probably going to be the, the big one. Right. And even though you look forward to it, it's, it's a, I mean, you just know what's coming, mm-hmm. in a way. You yeah. know that that'll be the exciting one. Yeah. You know, I think the the other, this is the big moment from this season. I think the other one that would probably come in second would be when Danny takes over Astapor. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sort of quick turn. I mean, again, the show being defined by these kind of like surprise deaths, mm-hmm. right? In that case, it was a characters and a, a characters, I guess, that we were excited to see go. Yeah. Right? Krasny's is, there's revenge, and this is revenge that we as the audience are on board with. Whereas this one is the opposite, the unjust revenge, the disproportional revenge based on the, you know, the degree of slight that had been given. Yeah. And yeah, so that's that's the reigns of Castamere, which Cersei nicely recanted the recounted the story for us the previous episode. So we had that framework to understand that the reigns being this Western family that tried to rise up against uh, Tywin Lannister and were subsequently dealt with we also get the information from marjorie that it's played all the time at court which makes sense um so it's just a symbol for Mm -hmm. lannister things are you ready to move on to misa i am would you give us a summary (laughs) i'll give you a summary thanks oh boy a lot of stuff goes on in this episode (laughs) all right bear with me the massacre outside the twins continues including a beheaded rob and a beheaded gray wind Later, Roos and Walder assess the damage and discuss their new positions. Roos reveals that Theon's torturer this whole time has in fact been his bastard son, Ramsay. Ramsay continues to torture Theon and torment him in various ways and names him Reek from there on out. Theon's parts make it to Pike and there Yara decides that she is going to come to his rescue. The Hound and Arya flee the twins Arya makes her first kill. It's one of the Freys who was uh, mocking the death of her mother. Bran and crew arrive at the night fort, where Sam and Gilly come up through a hole in the floor. Sam shows Bran the way through the wall, and then Sam returns to Castle Black. There, Maester Aemon entrusts him to send ravens to all the noble lords about the White Walker threat. Ygrette tracks Jon and confronts him, 
but only shoots him in non-lethal places so he can actually make an escape. John is able to stumble his way semi-consciously back to Castle Black. Davos pleads for Gendry's life, but is refused. He then frees Gendry and has him sail back to King's Landing, presumably. We only see him rowing. Stannis then has Davos reprimanded and sentences him to death, but Melisandre is convinced that Davos will be needed to help them win the real war up in the north. News of the Red Wedding reaches King's Landing. Joffrey is gleeful, but Tywin is not in any mood to celebrate. Tywin is also very disappointed in Tyrion for not consummating his marriage to Sansa. And later on, Cersei tells Tyrion that he should get Sansa pregnant to give her something to care for. Varys offers Shay diamonds for her to leave the city, but she refuses. Jaime and Brienne, and Kyburn, I suppose, ultimately return to King's Landing, and Jaime is reunited with Cersei. Danny meets the former slaves that she has freed from Yunkai, and they lift her up and call her Misa, which means mother. And that's where we end the entire season. Yeah, there's a lot in that one. Okay, so we, we start this one still at the Twins. We're still reeling at this point from the Red Wedding death, which, have we called it the Red Wedding yet? I don't know. I think the producers, in talking about the episodes after the show, call it that, but we don't have a concept of that at this point. Mm-hmm. But the fighting is still going on, and Roose Bolton, with the knife that he killed Rob Stark <laughs> in hand, is now up on the battlements and uh, surveys the chaos. And again, if we talk, we're going to talk about the bookends here. Mm-hmm. We start out with the chaos of the mob and death and destruction and fire. Everything's burning uh, outside of the twins here. We end the episode with Daenerys in the middle of a crowd, uh, disappearing into a crowd, much to Jorah's sort of worry. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, though, we have the opposite happen where uh, we have this sort of triumphant ascension, as it were, of of Danny in in the middle of of the crowd. Yeah. Not only do I like the opening sort of still at still at the red wedding because that's been so shocking but also tywin will say in this episode that he's saved lives Mm -hmm. by by doing this instead of fighting on the battlefield which is i mean i guess partially true but we see that the number of lives that were saved was not huge because everyone was mass i mean at least on the stark side was massacred yeah so it's go ahead sorry it's it's not about um peace it's about domination right he says like save a you know kill a dozen at dinner it's like yeah you killed a dozen at dinner but also a few hundred outside. Right. <laughs> or a thousand, I don't know how many it was, a lot of people. Uh, it was a slaughter in a, in a very mass kind of way. The Hound and Arya see Rob's body with Grey Wind's head attached, which is upsetting. I think this is telling for Arya in terms of the Hound as this kind of protector, even father figure of sorts, that as opposed to, say, Yorin, Mm-hmm. who on the steps of Baylor Sept when Ned got beheaded had her to look away and was very much like I don't want you to see this and he even says later like I know you didn't see this I made sure that you that I didn't let that happen mm-hmm. the hound granted Arya is delirious she's just been more or less knocked out but they don't really shy away I mean they ultimately turn away because probably just for their own safety they need to get going but they get a long look at things and even to the degree of like when they're bringing Rob with Grey Wind's head out, it's almost like they're looking at it closely to be like, what's going on? And then it, the figure turns mm-hmm. so you can actually see that what the armature and what's happening there with the head. And it's like, oh, okay, that's what's going on. And so they, they get a long look at it enough to really see the horror. Yeah. 
Well, I, I like that as a sort of um, progressively more violent because then her next father figure in Jack and Hagar mm. will encourage her to kill people, right. and she and she has to wash dead bodies, and so that each of these um, replacement fathers is encouraging or allowing more and more violence to happen around her and and encouraging it in, in her. Yeah. When she ultimately will leave the house in black and white, Jock and Hagar is, or whoever that is, who looks like Jock and Hagar, is like very like proud father look on his face. That she's killed the waif and put it up on the wall. Yeah. Anyway, we don't need to skip. We got enough Sorry. in this episode. No, I, I brought us there. Um, we don't need to skip ahead. and uh, We got enough in this episode, but... Mm-hmm. And we go from that to Sansa and Tyrion having actually a pretty sweet conversation where they may be coming to some understanding. But what I like is they're talking about revenge mm-hmm. and how to take revenge on people, but it's at such a low level. So she's, you know, Sansa says that she's going to use Arya's trick of of putting sheep dung in a mattress and sewing it back up so you don't know where it's coming from. And that is so childish compared to the news and the revenge she's going to want just, you know, in a in a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such like a it's such a profound contrast that we cut from all of the horrible destruction to then like this pretty hedge maze mm-hmm. and like walking through the gardens and actually like Lannister and Stark getting along. Mm-hmm. It's like it didn't it's almost like it didn't have to be horrible, right? Mm-hmm. These two houses have bad blood, but like look at what can be done. Tyrion but, even says we're perfect for each other because mm-hmm. she's the disgraced daughter and he's the demon monkey. Yeah. And so... And Sansa laughs. You yeah, know? yeah. She's warming up to him for a minute and yeah. then it gets ruined. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, Pod comes out and uh, summons him to the small council chamber where Joffrey is hopping around like a happy little rabbit or something. <laughs> the news, of course, has reached them and he wants Rob Stark's head brought so he can continue to torture Sansa Tyrion says it's not, she's not yours to torment anymore, and I don't remember his exact words, but threatens the king in some way, once mm-hmm. again. Uh, not the first time this has happened. Mm-hmm. He's asked to apologize, but Joffrey then turns his, his attention towards Tywin, who says, if you have to say that you're the king, you're no true king. And he rebuffs him by saying, my father was the real king. He was the one who won the real war. You sat in Castaway Rock. At which point... Maybe the best part of the episode. Mm-hmm. Tywin says, the king is tired. Maybe he should go to bed. <laughs> and then uh, when Joffrey later even like turns around as his mom, uh, Cersei is kind of leading him out, he says, I'm not tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, but he says that, but like everything just continues. Yeah. He's, he's still pulled out of the room. Tywin is in no way ever going to back down from this. And even Tyrion is, you can see him having these slight twitches of grin as like all this stuff is going on against against Joffrey. Yeah, no, that's a really great scene. I did get the idea that Cersei seems to be trying to help Tyrion a little bit when he, when he threatens Joffrey and someone like Pycelle is saying like, this is an outrage, mm-hmm. right? Cersei's saying, who cares about him? He's just a bitter little man. You know, that she's doing what she can, I think, to appease him. So again, before Joffrey's death, it really seems like Cersei, though she hates Tyrion, isn't actively trying to have Joffrey kill him. No. I think she knows that Joffrey has tried to kill Tyrion, right? Mm -hmm. And sort of like 
it's not for the good of any of us if like we're infighting to the degree that one of us is trying to kill the other one yeah. at this point, right? Yeah. Until the deed is done and she perceives that to be the case. Right. I think there might even be some degree of her trying to protect Sansa a little bit here too. Yeah. Like, which is kind of the perpetual theme with Cersei of her sort of having a similarities in their positions as noble uh, noble ladies that are you know being married off to to lords and, and mm-hmm. kings and all this kind of stuff. You know, I think this is challenged later in the episode where Cersei and Tyrion have this other kind of heart-to-heart talk. Yeah. Where Tyrion says that Sansa doesn't deserve it. And Cersei kind of, I mean, this is kind of thematically with what she's been saying the whole time, which is like, let's deserve, like, that's let's not get into who deserves what, right? Because mm-hmm. then you'll start caring about everybody's what she says. <laughs> and so you don't want to spread your care too thin, but then also advocates for impregnating Sansa so that Sansa has something to care about. Yeah, she says that her children are the only reason that she's alive. And I think importantly, says that she would have thrown herself from the Red Keep if she if she hadn't had children, mm-hmm. which is maybe why she feels so betrayed by Tom. And she uses those words, he betrayed me, mm-hmm. because he did throw himself. Um, so she maybe stayed alive for him, but he was not willing to stay alive for her. And then through the same methods, right? So. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't mean to jump ahead too much because there is still that once everybody else leaves, mm-hmm. Tyrion and Tywin are left in the room together and they have, I don't know, I, I found we've had a couple of scenes of Tyrion and Tywin talking to one another and it usually ends with Tywin saying something very gruff and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, he's he's un, unyielding and it's just like his personality that these are going to be two sides that kind of bounce off one another. He'll say something mean and mm-hmm. Tyrion will be spiteful and but leave ultimately and do whatever he's being asked to do. This one felt a little different the way that this lingers with Tyrion rebuffing Tywin saying when he when they're talking about orchestrating the Red Wedding, when have you ever done something that didn't benefit you personally? And he says that it the day that you were born, I didn't kill you, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's a horrible thing to say, but it's also not technically untrue, right? Yeah, I guess. He, he's unfeeling in a certain sense, but like this is his weakness, right? Tyrion is Tywin's weakness in so many ways. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting. I think it's implied, maybe even more strongly in the books, that the reason that Tywin didn't kill Tyrion is an aversion to kin killing Mm. that he didn't like because that's supposed to be the worst thing and it's even said later in this episode the gods can't uh, forgive a kin killer but he has orchestrated this other abuse of rights right like of 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 sort of traditional values Mm -hmm. in in having the the phrase kill the Starks but maybe if the sin goes on someone else's head then he doesn't really care that much yeah and then when Tyrion goes into the bedchamber where Sansa is we see what seems to be like maybe even the exact same latticework window that Cersei found herself within. Again, another parallel here. And Sansa mm-hmm. is found just staring out of definitely like framed in a way that she looks like she's once back in the cage mm-hmm. where she was previously walking about in the gardens. Yeah. Oh, I realize I've made a mistake. The rat cook is punished because he kills guests, not kin. Speaking of which, and actually there's some pretty direct lineage that's given here after Bran tells the rat cook story mm-hmm. cut very clearly to Walter Frey mm-hmm. uh, talking to Roose Bolton. And, you know, I, I think there's maybe a decent amount to glean from their conversation, which is still happening in the throne room where the, the massacre took place or the Great Hall, whatever you want to call it. But the thing that struck me the most about this one was the difference in the lighting. Mm. Because where we had this warm brown atmosphere, 
It's like cold, gray, green, steely, like metallic, and empty also. And the only light coming in is this hard, natural light from the windows as Walter Frey is cutting up the remnants of whatever food he has left. Still feasting, I guess. Maybe he didn't move from his chair. Mm-hmm. And Roose Bolton is, is on the floor while uh, a servant is like scrubbing the blood off the, off the ground. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that scene because we are confused at this point. We don't know exactly what's happened. It feels a little bit expositional, though. So he's like, so tell me what did happen at Winterfell. Yeah. And Roose is like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you so I can then reveal the connection to Ramsay. And yes, right. it, it does a decent amount of foreshadowing as far as talking about them going to Winterfell eventually mm-hmm. and all those kind of things. It's a ruin right now. And so we, we see that uh, potentially on the table for, for something to happen later. But also, well, I don't know. I mean, you get the feeling these two probably wouldn't really get along that well. I don't know. It's like, mm-hmm. but who would Roose Bolton and Walder Frey get along with, really? No I, one. I don't think anybody. So... But from that conversation, uh, we cut to Ramsay enjoying a sausage. Yes. Uh, <laughs> where it's teased a little bit that he may be eating the part that he cut off of Theon. Right. But it, he he says it's not. And it's played up for some dark humor here. Really, one of I think one of the most memeable, prominent animated gifs I've seen is <laughs> Ramsay holding up the sausage and wiggling it. Yeah. And that's sort of emphasized when he, he tells... Uh, Theon, he's not a lord anymore, that he's meat. And mm-hmm. so that Theon, or excuse me, Ramsay may not actually even see a difference between the, the sausage on his plate yeah. and Theon, mm-hmm. um, who's now Reek. Right. Uh, Theon continues to try and defy, continues to say that he thinks his name is, is Theon, and he's beaten into submission. You know, I, I don't have too much really to say about Pike, except that the actual part of Theon is, is shipped off there. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, I would keep wanting to call her Asha, but Yara, she pledges that she's going to go rescue him in a scene that I feel like is, even though there is the rescue attempt later, mm-hmm. the like way that they have this triumphant music and all this stuff feels like it is not follow, followed through on later. Yeah. It really seems like something big is happening, and then the actual rescue that we see feels very small by comparison. Right. She says we're going to take our fastest ship and yeah. the 30 best killers. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go rescue my little brother. But even the rescue attempt, it feels it feels pretty dinky compared yeah. to that. So I'll be curious to see when we actually, when's the next time we're going to see Yara? Because I feel like we don't see a ton of her. Mm-hmm. Like, And so to have like this big lead up here and uh, this big emotional, emotional push that, from my recollection, is really uh, deflated. Yeah, yeah. We also, uh, Bran meets Sam and Gilly, and there's a sort of connection between them, Sam agrees to let Bran out through the wall, which again looks like just a hole that's not even that hard to find. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, no magic portal or whatever is going on in the books. It's just a hole. Yeah. <laughs> the conversation between Varys and Shay is a co- sort of confusing one to me. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting. What, what do you think about it? I don't even know what to say. Really. Well, I think I think I understand it a little bit more now. That maybe because there's a similarity between what Tyrion offers with the gold chains and mm-hmm. like, well, I'll buy you a house or like, we'll go somewhere else or you should go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what Varys offers, she thinks that Tyrion is trying to get rid of her through Varys mm-hmm. and that may be a mistake. That Varys, so that he can have Tyrion's full attention and maybe to save Shay, who knows, that he's offered a similar plan. 
mm-hmm. which is go across the narrow sea, take these diamonds, buy a house, be a lady somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That that's why she's so upset. But also the, the especially the thing that he says, find a true home. That that becomes important later. We hear about John when he finally makes it back to Castle Black. Sam says, "You're home," and so mm. the idea of like, where are we meant to be? Yeah. And Shay is not meant to be here. Yeah. But she doesn't want to hear that. And you know, there's a lot in this episode, but kind of similar to the the Yara stuff. Honestly, I feel like the way that that scene concludes. I mean, there is the resolution. She essentially says, "I'm not leaving," but mm-hmm. like, then we don't see Shay again. Yeah. And it's kind of like. Okay, well, where did where did that go? <laughs> like, yeah. did she confront Tyrion? Say, why are you like? Yeah. If you want me to leave, like, do it yourself. Like, mm-hmm. that might explain later why she's so angry and she testifies against him. Right. Which I've always found sort of baffling. So maybe there's a scene missing that where she's like angry because Varys has maybe inserted himself where he doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she but... thinks that Varys is speaking on Tyrion's behalf, but I don't think that he is. Yeah. He never implies that, like, Tyrion sent me. That's just the somewhat logical explanation if Tyrion already tried to give you these gifts. And so it makes sense with that continuity. But in the show, they just kind of let it linger. Or not that they let it linger. It's just it's not followed up on in a way that seems like we should wrap this up with one more scene with Tyrion and Shay. Yeah. Otherwise, or don't put it in at all. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't... Standing alone, it doesn't make very much sense. Yeah. We've got a few things going on at Dragonstone with Davos and Gendry. They chat in the dungeon. Gendry sort of, you know, doesn't quite believe Davos when he says that he's born in Flea Bottom and he mm-hmm. has all these mocking things like, oh, yeah, we're just the same, aren't we? I want to be like, Gendry, listen to his accent. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. No. It's, a, it's, a, it's a class signifier. It is. Yeah. It's definitely in there's a I've been rereading some of the books now and we even saw this in the the conversation when Arya was Tywin's cupbearer that's speaking about like my lord versus my lord that mm-hmm. sort of thing uh, those sort of distinctions and it's like eh, Gendry's not really picking up on this Gendry was never the brightest no he's just good with a hammer yeah and Davos once again brings the notion of sparing Gendry to Stannis but Stannis very firm this time mm-hmm. you need to do what's being done there's a shot framed during that moment where it's again i feel like we've seen this a, a few different times the the, the consciences on the shoulders yeah davos or uh, stannis is looking out into the the bay i guess and davos on the one shoulder melisandre on the other both trying to convince him of what to do but ultimately he sides with melisandre in this one and sentences gendry to die but Davos lets him go anyway in a mm-hmm. very funny boat scene. <laughs> Have you ever been on a boat before? <laughs> Just keeps rowing for seasons and seasons. Mm-hmm. Earl- earlier, uh, Gilly and Sam tell Maester Eamon about what they've seen beyond the wall, and mm-hmm. he sends a message. And Davos gets the message, learns has learned how to read, and so he understands it, and so it, it, it saves him. And so... Melisandre is able to, she just turns on a dime, right? She's able to forgive Davos and then also say, this is where the real battle is. You'll be the one to win it, mm-hmm. uh, Stannis. So still, he's still her champion, but she can just sort of tell him to change goals pretty quickly. Yeah, a little, little misguided. And then the, I mean, the, the crazy turn there is that like Davos ends up, or uh, Melisandre ends up essentially saving Davos mm-hmm. and Stannis like in the middle of it is like, in disbelief he's just like starts quite cracking up to himself like yeah. he can't stomach the irony of like 
this back and forth of like switching allegiances and like who should kill who what do we need to do oh you switch sides again it's like he's just like getting pulled in every direction yeah be like just grits his teeth and be like all right whatever well that's sort of his character i guess that he is a soldier he does what is what he's told to do Mm -hmm. and and is bound by duty and so he wants to be king. It doesn't make any sense for him to go up north. Yeah. It's explained a little bit better in the books that like he'll win the realm by saving it, mm-hmm. which is kind of Daenerys's. They, they gave that yeah. to Daenerys. But yeah, he just, he, he doesn't, he's not great at listening to his inner voice. No. He needs to be told what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like thinking of Stannis going to like the psychiatrist though. you like, Stannis, you need to listen to your inner voice. <laughs> and he's just grinding his finger. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> so then Brienne, Kyburn, and Jamie come back to King's Landing in a scene that is sort of is a reminder of like Arya has had trouble re-entering the city mm-hmm. once because she looked like a commoner and now Jamie's being pushed around. There's a really strange moment where Cersei is in her room lovingly examining shells. Yeah. What are those? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was going to be my question. <laughs> but uh, I don't have a great answer. I thought that the only... Th- but it really doesn't... I don't know. Um, I thought they might be a gift from Marcella. Yeah. But she's just like very pleased with the shells. Which she's... is... I wouldn't have thought that she was much up for like the natural world. Uh-huh. But she just seems so... She's examining them so carefully. It's a big, like, conch shell. It's got, like, these almost, like, spindly points coming out of it. Mm-hmm. So it's very kind of sharp and pointy. But she's just, like, looking at it. And I I was wondering if, like, I was like, is she going to put it up to her ear or something like that? <laughs> I was like, what's she going to do with the shell that's, like, going to give me some clue maybe as to, like, what's going on? I mean, I guess you could. And it'd be, like, the idea of hearing something from afar. And maybe that's the Marcella. I, I feel like I'm kind of stretching. No, here. I totally. But otherwise, I feel like the the props person just gave her this and say, like, be be engrossed in it. Um, yeah. Because but... then when, when Jamie comes in, the reaction is stun. But she doesn't, like, run up to embrace him. Like, no. we don't see her get up. No. That scene ends with her sitting down. No. Closer to her shell yeah. than Jamie. Maybe Jamie is a shell of his former uh, self. Oh, you fixed it. All right, that makes that's, sense. <laughs> maybe that's got to be it. And but, she's okay. Go ahead. No, but it is. It is a beyond the shell, which I will never be able to understand. <laughs> it is a scene of disappointment because she's been depending on Jamie. I think especially his fighting ability mm. in order to get rid of Loras. I think that that he was going to maybe get challenged yeah. or have an accident while jousting, but. Jamie's kind of useless to her now without a hand. And so there is this, like, she sees him and is maybe happy for a moment, but she's like, he can't save me without his hand. Mm-hmm. He is a shell of a man. He's he's a disappointment. Yeah. So what, you know, where, when she was married to Robert, that she and Jamie could still sneak off and be together. Mm-hmm. Now, like, she might have all kinds of things that just rush into her mind. Like, I'm going to be shipped off to Highgarden or something. And- right. And they wouldn't agree to have Jamie come with her right. to Highgarden. <laughs> and what's Jamie going to do to refuse? He's he's yeah. going to be no good at doing anything as far as threatening somebody. He'd be like, no, he can't do that. Yeah. yeah. So we see that her her plan, which was to have Jamie take care of it for her, isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with Shell of his former self. <laughs> I think that is excellent because nothing else makes any sense. Well, I'm glad we were able to puzzle it out <laughs> to, some, to some sort of conclusion. 
whether or not that is intended because it was bizarre. Michelle, all right. Like a like a fancy necklace, I totally believe. <laughs> but a shell? I mean, I guess I'll give it to the producers for coming up with something that's not like fire or ice, <laughs> you know. Or, but let's be honest, a Cersei. It should have been a goblet of wine. Mm. She had she's had a number of wine scenes already in the episode. Maybe Lena Headey was getting a little, a little uh, tipsy. <laughs> And the final sequence is Daenerys waiting outside of Yunkai to see if she's welcomed as a conqueror or as a liberator. It feels a little Sermon on the Mountie. I don't know if you felt that she's standing yeah, there surrounded by her it. retinue and the Unsullied, which is that's the only part that doesn't really work because mm-hmm. Spears. Um, but she's standing there and then everyone just streams out to greet and, and celebrate her. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately she delivers a message that says that she cuts off Missandei, who is saying that you owe Daenerys your freedom, she says that uh, I can't give you your freedom, like it's not mine to give, Mm -hmm. but then goes into the crowd as if she didn't actually mean that and is like crowd surfing and is basically like letting her, like letting herself be built up as the icon that she just verbally said that she wasn't trying to be. Oh, it's so frustrating because mm-hmm. she says, like, basically, I had nothing to do with this. I didn't grant you your freedom. Your people, you're born free. Mm-hmm. But then she lets an entire city call her mother mm-hmm. and says, like, yes, I, you are mine. Oh, that sounds good, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a little... She also cuts Masande off, who is a, who was a slave, right. saying, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me explain slavery <laughs> to you. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you and Missanda should have gone over the notes a little bit closer so she knew what to say and not just be like, oh, just Missanda will figure it out. She knows. No. Like, it seems like you have a very specific PR agenda that you're trying to push here. And Yeah, but then she, she lets them raise her up on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's not, and I've already made it pretty clear that I think the optics of that are not great. Right. Danny is wearing pants. Yeah. Under her blue dress. I, this was a new dress. I thought this was going to be the white one. Maybe that's coming back later. So I was wrong about that. But she, yeah, she's wearing pants. And I feel like she's wearing pants probably because she's going to be lifted up. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I think that's a practical concern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's. I think this is, at least this ending shot, I think is probably the weakest of all finales. Yeah. Um, I know that they felt that it was important to end on a high note, That that there's been a lot... Except for maybe her her first finale with the dragons, many of the finales are are sad, and this was triumphant. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think it's that strong of a set piece. I just don't think there was the build up in the Yunkai plot, also yeah. as 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 another part of it to to really have that be the culmination. Like the Yunkai story seemed like, if anything, it was just about Dario, um, yeah, and sort of bringing Dario into the fold. And it was sort of like, oh yeah, also we took over the city, and here's all the people. It's like. It, it just didn't have the buildup, and certainly not the buildup of the Astapor right. plot. And maybe that's her her badass moment was Astapor, and so Yunkai just, it seems fast and forced, and it's like, was this even that big of a problem? Because it yeah. they, they surrendered really easily. In some ways, it's an, it's like as close as they're going to get to a natural ending when you're essentially cutting off the book material partway through. Right. It's sort of like... Because that is, like, Astapor is the big first thing. Yunkai is this middle chapter that just sort of is the lead-in to the big thing in Marine, mm-hmm. And ne- it was not meant to be the climax of 
a story just sort of I mean this does happen in the books but I don't know it makes sense from like an uplifting ending perspective I guess but you know I think it has a number of other issues as well also I just don't think I really like the actual final shot the very CG like quick zoom out mm-hmm. from above it's just it's too fake looking mm-hmm. I mean I like seeing the dragons again but like the actual crowd of people it has this like zombie horde spiral thing all heading towards her yeah. And maybe unintentionally is dehumanizing in a way that they're talking about like slavery, but they mm-hmm. make her the focus. We don't get any like she's surrounded by this zombie horde, mm-hmm. and especially the spiral as a as a symbol is associated with the White Walkers. Right. It's a negative symbol, and we see it again. I think during the Battle of the Bastards, there's sort of an echoed scene of like being crushed in the middle of like a crowd, mm-hmm. and so visually it's it has bad associations and so it's weird to be like but look how this is this time it's good yeah. it's like uh, not really yeah i just don't think i think in and in maybe if they even would have not ended up doing that that final sort of zoom out shot i realize it's the end of the season shot and they're going to have the version of the main theme play mm-hmm. when they go in so it, it makes sense i guess but like i just don't i don't really care for the way that it looked yeah um, i liked if we're just going on pure aesthetics, I thought the look of when they first lift her up and sort of spin her around and uh, she's kind of doing this crowd surfing thing. I thought that had a, a, a neat kind of contrast look to it. But again, that's some of the other issues aside saying that. But still, that final shot, eh, not so much. Yeah, agreed. I like when she goes, one more thing about that. I like when she went into the crowd and Jorah had this look of worry yes. on his face. It, very similar to essentially like, when she disappeared behind that wall going into the House of the Undying, mm-hmm. sort of like, I'm watching her, I'm watching her move, I've lost sight of her, and now she's actually gone. And in this case, him having that same kind of moment, that same kind of reaction, but then she's lifted up in a positive way. Yeah, yeah. That it's a, it's a, it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, that was season three. That was season three. Huge one. Yeah. Maybe the strongest season. Yeah. I want to say, in general. Yeah. Other than this final scene, everything is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty strong, and not a lot of fumbles along the way either. I mean, the Theon plot gets a little strained at a certain point, but I feel like it, at the very least, uh, it does have a couple moments that are a little questionable, I guess. <laughs> but, Theons? Yeah. Yeah. But it... Uh, I mean, I don't know. It sets up the transformation of that character, I suppose. Yeah. Maybe a little more repulsive than it needed to be, at least as far as sh- what that shows us. Right, and I know the the showrunners say that they're they're trying to they're trying to make it hard to watch, mm-hmm. but then they all say like, because that's how it really is, and it's like, oh, well, I don't need no. to watch literal torture. No. thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think I think that does get pushed, uh, maybe beyond its limits but everything else is is very good yeah i really liked a lot of the other plots certainly the the john and egret plots mm-hmm. the jamie and brianne plots mm-hmm. Tyrion, sansa like there's so many great things going on there and i think that having the climax with the red wedding was another huge payoff and we do have even though we don't end on the best note for danny's plot she does have her best moments of I think her arc this season earlier when she does the that takeover of Astapor. Right, because Marine just gets worse. Yeah. So I don't think, I don't know, I don't think they knew what to do with her in Marine. So. Yeah, well, I mean, Danny doesn't seem like she knows what to do with Marine. Like that's, <laughs> I guess that's part of her character, right? But yeah, so a super strong season. Uh, I think that David Nutter really did a, a nice job with these last uh, couple episodes as well. I I found them 
to have a, a lot of really striking imagery, some really interesting sets. Again, that like the phrase dining hall set mm-hmm. really amazingly put together. Some mm-hmm. cool stuff at Dragonstone too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Yeah, a good one. Mm-hmm. But we keep moving forward. <laughs> and uh, again, the next season is going to be this direct continuation where there's a lot of things that I feel like were set up in this final episode that were really like, not necessarily cliffhangers, but really like something in motion that were kind of like, well, wait, what happens next sort of thing? Like, is we need to see what the next action is mm-hmm. as, far as, as opposed to everything kind of coming to a, a nice conclusive stop because it's this half of this book kind of uh, middle point. So the next season will pick up and you know, with some of the stuff that will happen in the first episode, or the second episode we're going to talk about where the where the royal wedding really gets going quite early. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't take too much time to catch breath. So that'll bring us to a close this time, though. You can check out all of our podcasts on themummersfarce.libson.com. Last time I forgot to do the Twitter handle. Oh. That's the one I forgot. Mummersfarcepod is our Twitter handle there. And we're on iTunes and Google Play, so you can find all of our stuff on those two services you can also send us an email at the mummersfarce podcast at gmail.com if you have comments questions compliments or anything that you uh maybe want to talk about about the third season or moving forward into season four so that'll do it for our time this week we'll see everybody again soon all right bye dan all right thanks kate bye